You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Today's passage comes from Psalm 69 and can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 482. If you don't own a Bible, as always, you are welcome to take one of these Pew Bibles with you as a gift from Redeemer. Psalm 67, 69, sorry. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs on my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What, what I did not steal must I now restore? O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O oh Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O oh God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. 
Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I look for pity, but there was none, and for the comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me wine, sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. And to them, punishment upon punishment, may they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, let them not be enrolled among the righteous, but I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them, for God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. And people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it and those who love his name shall dwell in it. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he spoke and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. We had some mic problems in the beginning of the service, so um, if I hear any more of that reverb, I'm going to go ahead and grab that mic. We'll see how it goes. My name is Steve Bird, and I am one of the deacons here at Redeemer Anglican. And as a deacon, my role is to serve the church, but also to be a bridge to the world, kind of a pastor at large. And so our senior rector is on an extended and wonderful break, a sabbatical. He's asked me to preach today, so it's quite an honor. Um, About an hour ago, I could honestly say it had been about um, 12 years since I have preached. Now it's been about 30 minutes, but um, anyway, it's been quite a gap. But it is a real joy and honor to be here, and so so welcome. Join me in prayer, if you will, please. Lord Jesus, we quiet our hearts before you. We're here in this room because you've brought us here. Thank you for the honor of being able to and the joy of being able to be in your presence and to to worship you, to learn from you. Lord, would you make the words of of my voice um, fitting to you and honoring to you? Would you help the meditations of our heart uh, be, be open and honest and humble before you? Teach us, Lord. Make yourself real to us. We want to follow you. You are the king. We pray these things to your honor, Jesus, to your glory, and in the authority of your name. Amen. Folks, we live in a dangerous and hostile world. Words like Ukraine, Monroe Park, and the fact that in a while we're going to read a personal confession of sin reveal to us the fact that we live in a hostile world, a hostile city, and even have hostility and violence in our own hearts. So here's the question before us today. How do we live courageously in a hostile world. That is, how do we engage our world, our city, and our own hearts in light of the gospel? Well, Psalm 69 offers some advice. It's good, it's true, it's troubling, and it's challenging. Why is it troubling? Why is it challenging? Well, C.S. Lewis describes and calls this very psalm a, quote, terrible psalm technically referred to as an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms are cursing psalms. And like all the other nine cursing psalms in the Bible, Psalm 69 invokes judgment, calamity, and cursing upon David's enemies, or those who he perceives to be his enemies. Ellen Davis, who is a associate professor at Duke University and author of a book, Getting Involved with God, finished a lesson on the imprecatory imprecatory psalms when a student came to her and said to her, Dr. Davis, you surely do not mean to say that any Christian should pray those psalms. 
It is because of words like those that the Old Testament should be burned and the ashes cast into the sea. While certainly a strongly worded response, the feelings expressed may not be that different than our own. For example, can we imagine a teacher guiding a bullied student to pray, quote, let my tormentors own table before them become a snare that they may, that when, when they are at peace, it becomes a trap. Or could we imagine a marriage counselor giving direction to a broken-hearted spouse to pray about their spouse, quote, let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and may their back tremble continually. Or how about an associate telling a shamed colleague to pray for their selfish boss, quote, Lord, pour out your indignation upon my boss and let your burning anger overtake them. Or for that matter, about anyone we perceive to be our enemy. Could we pray, Lord, let them be blotted out of the book of living. May they have no acquittal from you, Lord. What kind of prayers are these in light of the fact that we have the Lord Jesus full of grace and mercy, who has called us to turn the other cheek and love our enemies. Why would we ever look to a, quote, terrible psalm for guidance as how to live a grace-based response to hostility? Well, the answer is really simple. Jesus did. Psalm 69 was quoted more frequently by Jesus than any other psalm in the Bible except for one. Therefore, trusting that Jesus had some insight that just might be worth listening to, let's see what Psalm 69 has to say about living courageously in a hostile world. And to that end, we'll look at three responses to a hostile world. One is, while we need to pray while accepting the reality of suffering as described in these cursing psalms, we need to pray the wide open, honest, prayers of the Christian Psalms, and we need to pray the Christian Psalms as one who has been forgiven much. But before we dive into each of these, let's just set up a framework how to think about these. Although these are responses, they're not linear in that we complete number one, move to two, and then three. Rather, they're more like ingredients that get dumped into the mix. These are ingredients that get put into our soul and stirred up, and we grow in all of these simultaneously in, in some ways. Hopefully that'll make more sense as, as we go through the sermon. Okay, let's look at our first response to a hostile world. Pray accepting the reality of suffering as described in the cursing Psalms. The special poignancy of the cursing Psalms, writes Ellen Davis, stems from the fact that the enemies are not faceless. They are people well known to the psalmist even dear friends from whom he has every reason to expect love in return for his own. In verse eight of this Psalm, David cries out, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. What could David have been feeling to express such, such emptiness? Well, those who were supposed to stand with him through the good and the bad, those people who were to love him unconditionally, those people whose faces he knew so well had walked so far away from him that he felt like a stranger and an alien in their presence. 
Well, I know the pain of having family so far away that it's impossible to do life with them on a day-to-day basis. However, we're still connected. They're not my aliens. They're not my strangers. They're still a bond. So what must David have felt from this? It must have been crushing. Well, Jesus also experienced this crushing reality. It was a crushing relational reality at such an intense level as to be incomparable to anything else we could ever experience. His good friend John describes Jesus' suffering in this way, quote, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He, that is Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own domain and his own people did not receive him. In today's gospel reading, Dr. Luke describes the shocking response that Jesus received after declaring himself to be the one that Yahweh sent to proclaim good news, to establish liberty, to offer sight. After hearing all this good news that Jesus had to offer, instead of thanking Jesus, instead of worshiping Jesus, instead of falling at his feet in praise and adoration, these people, his people in his town were filled with wrath. They rose up and they drove Jesus out of his town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. Friends, our lives are really no different. We're designed to belong to God, to the Trinity, and to one another. This belonging is at the very core of what I think it means to be made a Mago Dei. Anyone who is in Christ belongs right now, but we do not yet fully experience this belonging because we live in a period known as the already not yet. And it's in this gap period that we experience this suffering, this relational suffering in the world and in our relationships described by these imprecatory Psalms. Therefore, we need not be surprised nor undone by these painful conditions. Rather, I think we need to ask our Lord to help us accept the suffering that is part of our lives. Well, this raises the question, how do we do that? Well, we look at our second response, which is pray the wide open, honest prayers of the cursing Psalms in response to the hostility. On April 26, 2016, an amazing conversation took place along the shores of Flathead Lake in Montana. As recorded on a YouTube documentary, Eugene Peterson, author of the Message Bible, sat down to talk with Bono, who in his own words is, quote, a singer in an Irish band called U2. And they sat together reflecting upon the imprecatory Psalms. Two of their comments struck my heart very deeply. First, Bono, with apologies for not attempting to speak with a beautiful Irish accent. It'll just be an American. But Bono did say, a brutal honesty about the deep sorrow or confusion sets the Psalms apart for me. Continuing, he confesses, having feelings as is perfectly normal. I like David very much. He danced naked before the troops. That's the reason I liked him. It's this abandonment. You've got to get it out. It's important. Peterson then shares how he puts that into practice by saying, 
Praying is not being nice before God. Praying is not about being nice before God. The imprecatory psalms are not smooth, nor are they pretty, but they are honest. I think these men capture the raw emotion of David's suffering. Open your Bibles, turn to Psalm 69, please, and listen to a few of these verses. Let the weight of David's words sink into your heart. First, verses one through three. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Then down in verse 17 and 18. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me. Ransom me because of my enemies. And then in verse 20. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Did you feel David's overwhelming agony, his abandonment, his loneliness, his despair so honestly expressed to the Lord? Do you know what I find particularly inspiring by these very words? Well, these words are in God's book of prayers. These are God's prayers. These are God's words, not just David's. They're actually God's prayers of grief that he intends for us to pray back to him. These prayers, which we find so uncomfortable to pray, are the very words God wants to hear from us. Why? Because he knows that our broken hearts need to pray honestly and openly. It is in doing so that we experience and know something even deeper than knowledge, that we are accepted and loved by and belong to the Lord God. The Lord is speaking by, because the Lord speaks through David with this psalm, he gives us permission to pray likewise. Our Heavenly Father welcomes our being wide open honest about our feelings. What a gift. But wait a minute, Steve. Take a look at verses 22 to 29. Don't they take a dark turn from how we're feeling to what we want God to do to our enemies? Well, at one level, that certainly seems true. Look again at the harshness of these very words. Quote, let their table become a snare. Let their eyes be darkened. Pour out your indignation all the way down to blot them out of the book of living. What kind of prayer is this? What are we to do with words of such violence? What are we to do with the deep sense that we have of wanting to respond in this very way to our enemies? Well, Eugene Peterson wisely said, that's a hard question. He pauses, looking out at the lake, scratches his chin, looks back at Bono, and quietly says, you know, Bono, I guess we need to find a way to curse without cussing. 
we need to find a way to curse without cussing. And the imprecatory Psalms do that. Amen, Brother Peterson. I bet I have one question for you, brother, and it's this. How do the imprecatory Psalms, especially Psalm 69, help us to curse without cussing? What does that even mean? Well, Ellen Davis, who's an associate professor and a lover of Christ, answers the question in two ways that, that I love. First, she says, the imprecatory Psalms give us words for our anger when we're too stunned by its enormity to find our own. When our anger is just too overwhelming and we can't find the words, the Lord's provided those words in this psalm. These cursing verses, although spoken through men, are not the words of men only. They're the very words of God. As Apostle Paul reveals in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, true about these passages, Psalm 69, and even if it's cursing, is scripture breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. These words of God, spoken by us in prayer, go out and they accomplish what God intends for them to accomplish, and they never return void. Dr. Davis shares a story about how she experienced the cursing psalms freeing her heart from the bitterness she experienced in the midst of a betrayal from a very close friend at school. Upon seeing her pain, one of her theology professors said to her, gave her a list of the imprecatory psalms, and then said, Ellen, I want you to go into the chapel by yourself. Take these psalms and shout them as loud as you can to the Lord. And she did. Beyond helping her to vent her anger, this kind of praying helped Ellen Davis move past her blind rage. She states, after a few days and nights of shouting these prayers to the Lord, my own loud rantings began to sound a little different to my ears. Angry as I still was, I could hear in them a faint note of self-righteousness and even pettiness, end quote. Through this process, our sister realized that God cared as much for her enemies as he cared for her. And in her own words, she said that praying this way actually showed her that she had reduced God to an extension of her own ego. So it was through shouting the imprecatory psalms to the Lord that Dr. Davis's heart was softened, healed, and reorient, reoriented turned back to the Lord. The second thing that she said I thought that was so impressive was that these cursing psalms, when they're prayed, transform our cry for vengeance to an appeal for God to act in our behalf. As frightening and uncomfortable as these verses 22 through 29 seem to our ears, they are an appeal for God to act. David, who first said these, was not taking on the punishing action himself, but rather he was giving his demands to God. He is, in effect, entrusting to God what to do with David's own enemies. Davis reminds us, in light of this, that there is, quote, no personal vendetta authorized, no pouring sugar into somebody's gas tank, 
No picking up a gun or hiring one. No telling our best friends about how someone else hurt us. No confessing somebody else's sins. On the contrary, her words are, the validity of any punishing action that may occur depends entirely on it being God's action and not ours. This is at the core a prayer of faith, a releasing and an entrusting of our suffering to the Lord. Well, no doubt we'll recognize this as a severely limiting condition. For God's actions are free from our control and are directed not only to our healing, but to the healing of our enemies and to everyone and everything. Through these imprecatory psalms, we demand that our enemies be driven into God's hands. And who can say what will happen then? So as we grow in our accepting of the suffering of our world in our lives, as we grow in learning how to pray wide open, honest prayers before the Lord, we move to our third and final response. We pray the cursing Psalms as one who has been forgiven much. In Matthew 18, we're told about what happened to an unforgiving servant. A man who despite his unpayable debt, had his debt completely covered. He then turned to a man who owed him but a little and beat the man and threw him in jail. The last words this unforgiving servant heard before being thrown into jail himself was this rebuke from the Lord. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Well, the answer is clearly yes, because we are made to love. We are called to love. We are compelled to love as we have been loved and to forgive as we have been forgiven. The Lord who had every right to curse and condemn us did not do so. Rather, he was cursed and he was condemned for us. As Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 5, 22, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. For our sake, God the Father made God the Son to become sin and cursed on the cross, so that in Christ we might not be cursed, might not be condemned, but might have full access to the Father. In reality, Jesus absorbed the curse of Psalm 69, verses 22 through 29, so that we would be free to love, to forgive, to serve, to worship, and to pray. This is why Jesus asked us in Matthew 7, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own brother's eye. With this passage in mind, I think Ellen Davis concludes her chapter on the Christian Psalms with a challenge that felt right and good, but a little frightening. To each of us individually, she says, turn it, turn it, for everything is in it. If you have the courage, and it will take some, 
Try turning Psalm 69 this week a full 180 degrees until it is directed at us, at me, at you, and ask, is there anyone in the community of God's people, anyone here at Redeemer, anyone at another church, anyone in our neighborhood, anyone at work, anyone in our school, who might want to pray this imprecatory psalm to God because of us or because of our church. If we take time to do this, we might, and I think we will, experience the freedom and power of which we've only dreamed. Therefore, turn it, turn it, turn it, for everything is in the turn, in the return to Christ. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with a love that is unmatched. Search our hearts, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. For your honor and glory, amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.